welcome to Tabletop Game Talk on Topic, the show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about Fantasy Flight Games. We have a brief history of the company, then we'll talk about their games and their strategy as a publisher. This is the first of a few episodes we'll be doing on specific publishers, and hopefully you'll find them interesting. But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC. Thanks to all of our other patrons as well. Ooh, so what'd you guys do this weekend? I slept. (laughs) (laughs) So you're not tired right now? I mean, it's Monday now. (laughs) So now you're tired again? It's no longer the weekend, Chris. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Fletcher, I know what you did, but it's my segue anyway. Yeah. What did you do this weekend? Um, I hung out with Chris on Sunday. Chris and Sydney. And Zachary. And Zachary. Who was in a pretty yeah, good mood. and Carmen came along too. We all went to a pumpkin picking patch thing and carved pumpkins. <laughs> and by pumpkin picking, we picked out pumpkins. Oh my god! You didn't actually get to cut them from the vine. We did not. Although no. I think mm-hmm. I've been to pumpkin patches like that. Pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> um, player three is super, super into pumpkins. And it is one of his most frequently said words now. And whenever we go through a walk of our neighborhood, he points out every single pumpkin. <laughs> Does he say it correctly? I mean, he really gets as the correctly pump. as a he. He gets the pump is the pump pumpkin. Okay, well, I mean, that's about pump. the way that Chris says it. Pump. So I <laughs> yeah, say it equivalent to an almost two year old. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a midwestern thing, right? I mean, I can't be the only one that says pumpkin. I think no, just, I know. They're no, it's a very common thing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I know it's pronounced pumpkin. It just sounds weird that way. There's just so many extra puss in there. Like an entire extra one. Twice as many puss in the way you're supposed to say pumpkin. It's like when people say comfortable instead of comfortable. You just like <laughs> throw out some syllables like this is too long. This is too hard. This is too hard. It's comfortable. Uh, yeah. You say tomato. I say Yuck. <laughs> um, having just visited England, syllables mean nothing to those people. No. Well, you gotta. We can have Josh back on so he can defend this, but I had a very hard time with the lack of syllables in that country. We are getting to a point, though, where the abbreviations in text messages and instant messages and things like that are making their way into actual spoken language. And the moment Ball. that Prolly becomes a replacement for probably then i'll be screaming get off my lawn because that Futurama drives me nuts. saw it coming Ugh, can't do it i'll I can't. ask you a question <laughs> <laughs> i can't do it i hate when people just type probably for probably like that's no 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 i'm fine with the acronym i do feel like with predictive text we're going the other direction because now your phone is like hey i know this is what you meant how about you don't sound stupid <laughs> I mean, you can even you can set up shortcuts too. So it's yeah. like when you type these three characters, it'll actually type this whole sentence for you. Okay, but nobody is setting up shortcuts, and the only default one is OMW, which is fine. But except it adds yeah. an exclamation point, which I have never been that excited to be on my way. <laughs> it's like I'm on my way. Also, Not Spencer sets them up as a prank. So he changed guess in my phone to love the bears. So every time I write, I guess, it autocorrects to I love the bears. 
<laughs> That's awesome. And I always forget to change it back. And I have sent some very bizarre sentences. Because it's really also confusing as to where you go to set those things, too. Yes. Uh, all right. That's enough. We've derailed enough. <laughs> Although, do you want to say the type of glove that rhymes with kittens? No. <laughs> Just check. I say mittens. Mittens. There's not even... There's two T's in that word, and you haven't pronounced either of them. No, it turns into like a... I don't even know what sound it is. Whatever. <laughs> I've always said it that way. Mitten, kitten. My mom right. calls me kitten. I mean, that's totally kitten. fine. <laughs> all right. Fantasy We all know flight. how you say those round things that aren't donuts. Uh, boggles. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it right even if I want to. I say bagels and flag and... I think egg is correct, but bag, none of those words apparently are correct to you people. And by you people, I mean everyone who's not me. And I can <laughs> never correct it. Because if I say it the way you want me to say it, it's just so unnatural in my mouth. But back to fantasy flight, because that is natural. Although that is also a problem I have saying fantasy flight and not saying final fantasy. Every single time. Final Fantasy Flight. <laughs> yeah. Every single time I mentioned Fantasy Flight games, I'm like, Final Fantasy, I mean, Fantasy Flight games. Yeah. It, it's that FF thing that, yeah, Fantasy Flight games. Final Fantasy Flight games. That actually, <laughs> I, I'm going to start a new game company. That's what I'm going to call it. It's going to be awesome. So, why are we talking sure about... we won't encounter any issues. <laughs> <laughs> None yeah. whatsoever. So, why are we talking about publishing companies? Because that was the topic that you chose. That's what you typed in our show notes. <laughs> Just checking. Fine, fine, fine. So the reason why I wanted to talk about game publishing companies, because we refer to a number of game companies quite often. And it occurred to me that there's certain companies out there that we'll refer to, but there's a lot more history to these companies and things behind the scenes that I think is interesting. So I picked three and we might do a fourth episode on like just a bunch of other miscellaneous companies. But these three companies are very different from one another, but they're all very big and distinguished in the industry. And by big, I mean they vary from one person to dozens, maybe a hundred plus people. Um, Fantasy Flight, I can't, I don't know exactly how many people work for them but it's got to be a decent number and by a decent number i would say <sighs> approaching a hundred or so but they also have a storefront so they have a retail storefront in minnesota so that roseville, also goes <laughs> in what roseville minnesota in roseville minnesota very good wiki page up on your screen maybe <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah so they're they have, they're one of the bigger companies out there. Uh, they started out in 1995, and that was actually, they started out as a publishing company with Fantasy Flight Publishing, but I, I believe this was started as a role playing game uh, label. So in the 90s, D20 was big and everyone was doing a role playing game. So I think that's where it started. But within two years, they, um, their founder, Christian Peterson, who no longer works there, started. Uh, Great. Well, I don't know if he did create, he designed it, uh, but he decided to publish Twilight Imperium with the company. And that 
caused them to change the game to, or the change the name of the company to Fantasy Flight Games. So Twilight Imperium is why this company exists. It's probably not why they're known now, but I think it's interesting to know where they started and how how they kind of changed over the time. Um, we're going to fast forward through a lot of this, but in the mid 2000s, they started licensing uh, Warhammer from Games Workshop. So they started doing a bunch of Warhammer stuff. They lost that license. I don't know if they lost it or if it just expired, but about 10 years later, they um, stopped publishing Warhammer stuff, which sort of sucked because there was a lot of cool Warhammer titles that, you know, once they lose that IP, they can't do anything about it anymore. But they moved on. Um, and it, actually, before they lost Warhammer, they got the Star Wars license, and they still have that. They also have the Game of Thrones license, um, Lord of the Rings. They had Battlestar Galactica for a short period of time. Um, they had the StarCraft license for a short period of time. Um, they still have Doom. They had World of Warcraft. Um, and then they have a, a few of their own IPs as well. So we'll talk about those. But they've, for a long time, they went to just like IPs and making games for other IPs. And they made great games for them, which is one of the reasons why their board games did a pretty good job with uh, building and growing the company. Um, and one of the reasons to do IP games is you're going to sell them. If you make a Warhammer game, people are going to buy it. You have a built-in audience that says, oh, yeah, I know that. I'm going to buy it. If you just do a fantasy, futuristic fantasy game with orcs, it's not going to sell. At least not going to sell the same quantities that a Warhammer or something is going to sell. Um, and then... One of the things that happened, I want to say this was four years ago, I think, maybe five. Um, they merged, well, not necessarily merged, but they were acquired by Asmodee. And Asmodee is a French board game company that has been coming in and buying all kinds of board game companies. Um, Fantasy Flight was one of the bigger acquisitions. And I think one of the ones that was most surprising in the industry, because Fantasy Flight didn't seem like it needed to be acquired. Uh, then again, if a giant game company comes in and says, you know, we'll give you X millions of dollars, the owners of the company, because this company is privately held, says, huh, that's a pretty decent payout. Sure. And then Christian Peterson left the company two years later. Um, Pre-announced, it wasn't, he wasn't forced out or anything like that. I think he just said, all right, I made my money. I stayed for my two years or whatever his contract said that he had to stay. And then... Now, I'm assuming he's retired into a small island someplace, but um, that I don't know. <laughs> so, any of that news to you guys? Like, did you, is that, I'm, I'm curious. So, the history of the company is its own own thing, and I want to touch on it a little bit. But I'm curious if any of that was, like, surprising to you or stuff that, you know, Fantasy Flight's more than just Keyforge and Arkham Horror. I mean, I didn't really know anything about that. So, yes, it was all kind of news to me. <laughs> I guess Twilight Imperium was the only surprise to me, but um, since we were covering the Dice Tower news during the, um, I believe when Christian Peterson left the company, that was like a news story I reported on. So yeah, not super surprising. <laughs> yeah, that happened uh, earlier this year, right? It was like kind of January, February. Yeah, I think it was. I was going to say February. Yep, but I'm not sure. Yeah, so he says here, as a CEO of Fantasy Flight Games, he led the company to publish more than 400 titles, making it one of the most successful publishers in the hobby game industry. In addition, his addition to his responsibilities as CEO, um, he managed the day-to-day operations of Fantasy Flight Development and Design Department. Um, he 
he was also a designer on a lot of the things and like the director of obviously many, many things. Um, when he left, I think a lot of people were a little concerned that, you know, what's going to happen with Fantasy Flight. But I don't think that they've actually made any wrong turns or anything like that. I think they've done a pretty good job so far. So, and that, and I'm, I'm trying to see if he retired to an island. Um, no, no. <laughs> that he In July 30, 2018. And alone. <laughs> yeah. In July 30, 2018, he announced that he would be stepping down from his role as CEO um, at the end of 2018. So that was like December, January range. Um, he moved on. And that's the end of his Wikipedia entry. So, Christian, if you're listening, uh, let us know where you went. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. But yeah, so Fantasy Flight. I would say that three of my top five games are from this company. I'm pretty sure it's top five. If I mean, I'm just off the top of my head. Uh, those three would be obviously Keyforge, Arkham Horror, the card game, and then Star Wars Rebellion. And I follow a ton of what they do. So before I just go into talking about other games, like Fletcher, you are newest to talking about the hobby. What do you know about Fantasy Flight beyond what you've just learned? I mean, before that, it was basically just Keyforge. Like, that's really... All I knew. So you've I played Mansions of Madness though before, right? Uh, yes, but I just have. never associated it with Fantasy Flight games. I never associated it with Fantasy Flight Flight games. That's correct. Um, uh, I didn't. I don't actually own the game, so that's probably why I never associated it with. Um, but I have played it, and uh, I actually didn't really like it very much. So. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. What? I'm actually actually I'm curious. What didn't you like about it? Um, all of the management that you have to do even with the app it's so you just, played second edition the app one. i played second edition and even with the app like it it just i feel like the game just like crawls along and like half the time you're just like moving stuff around and the, i don't know it was just kind of like i felt like it took forever to do anything even when it's telling you exactly what to do yeah i will give that to you um i think co-op games are getting better at not having a huge clumpy cooperative phase or like a management phase um and this is one thing that fantasy flight has been working on for well almost 25 years now where mansions of madness one was super fiddly but it had someone that was like designated it is your job you are the keeper you are the one that's managing all of the monster bits and it was part of the game and then everyone else were the investigators and then, well, we don't want one person to be, you know, you know, we want this to be a full co-op, so we'll make the app and have the app do all of that. But there's still all this management in there. But we'll get to what they've done in other co-op games that start learning from the past, because I think that's one of the things that's interesting about a single publishing company iterating on game design versus just doing the same thing over and over because they have definitely not done the same thing over and over and they do iterate on things. But first, same question to you, Kitty. What do you know about Fantasy Flight before now? I'm just kind of curious what you've... Like, when you hear Fantasy Flight, what do you think? So obviously, I think Keyforge. Yes. (laughs) As you're Um, wearing your Keyforge hoodie. Yes. I also associate them mostly with living card games. That's the biggest thing I think. When I hear Fantasy Flight, I think living card games. I think blank the living card game. <laughs> like there's so many of them that they have going on and they seem to really like go with a subscription model of like 
every month we put out this thing and everyone has to buy it if you want to keep playing the game and you have to keep up and uh, that seems to be how they hook people and keep people playing. And then I also think of them as more of a um, miniatures game company. I think of them, especially X-Wing, I see all the time. That seems to be a really big one for them as well. I think a lot of Star Wars stuff, too. Fantasy. So those are the things that come to mind, is Keyforge, Living Card Games, and lots of Star Wars figures. Well, let's start at Living Card Games, because I think this is one of the things that Fantasy Flight did. Oh, this was... There's another. Um, so for a lot of this reference, I'm going to Wikipedia. So I'm not just making this stuff up. And I'm. But someone else a, might have. Someone else might have. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That could happen. But for the most part, um, gamers keep each other honest. But so 2008 was when the term living card game was created. And Fantasy Fight. Flight created this, and they trademarked it. So Fantasy Flight is the only place that you can get a living card game. However, they trademarked the name. You can't really trademark the idea and concept of it. In general, though, there was a glut of collectible card games in, well, basically since 1995, since Magic became a thing. And was it 95 or 92? Somewhere in that range. But it, it just became... It. Keep talking. It became everything was a collectible card game. And the problem with collectible card games is you need a critical mass in order to really make them successful. And if you don't have that, then it's not going to be successful. And even if you do have that, it's probably not going to be successful after a few sets because people have to buy, keep buying old cards. It gets really expensive. And what ends up happening is the players that were there at the beginning become they have all the cards and then the later people come in as like, well, wait, I can't really catch up. So I'm not going to get into it. So we had a major issue with people getting into the game. Um, so 1993, that is when the magic war, well, the magic CCG started it all. I remember 1994, the Gen Con after that, there were, there had to be at least 50 collectible card games and everyone saying why it's better than magic. And at least a, a quarter of them were probably better than magic, but it didn't matter. You'd be the first to market. <laughs> they weren't were. magic. So Fantasy Flight decided there was a Call of Cthulhu collectible card game at the time. And I believe Fantasy Flight, I don't know if they owned that title, that IP, but I know that they they liked the game, but it wasn't really selling the way they wanted it to. So they turned it into a living card game and dubbed that term. They said, all you have to do is buy a base set. And then every month we'll come out with a card pack. And you'll know exactly what those pack what's in that pack. And you just buy that one pack and you're you're good. You you have everything you need. Nobody has to nobody has chase cards. There's all of that stuff is removed. It was not necessarily an intent the intent wasn't to create a system where you have to buy something every month. It sort of was. That's obviously you have to make money behind it. But for the user or for the player, it was more of giving the player a way of playing these card games and taking out that expensive chase like atmosphere that was going on. And it was wildly successful for the company to the point where they now have, well, the list of card games that have existed so far, the living card games, it started with Call of Cthulhu, then Game of Thrones, the card game, first edition, put a little asterisk next to that, Warhammer Invasion, 
and Warhammer 40k Conquest. So these were the fantasy version and then the sci-fi version of Warhammer. Um, Invasion was five years, four, four, four or five years. 40k Conquest was maybe three years. Then the big one, Android Netrunner. This one is very interesting. So we're going to pause here for a second because Android is an IP that's owned by Fantasy Flight. They have, it's a world that was developed with them or by them, and it's theirs. Netrunner was a CCG owned by Wizards of the Coast, same people who owned Magic. Also designed by Richard Garfield, same person who designed Magic and designed Keyforge. Well, Netrunner, the CCG, wasn't actually doing all that great, but Christian Peterson saw potential there and went to Fantasy Flight. I, I would guess that Fantasy Flight was going to cancel it at some point anyway, and said, hey... You mean Wizards we, of the Coast? Wizards of the Coast, yeah. Um, said, hey, we would love to have, you know, publish this game. If you're not going to publish it, we would like to license it. So li- license the system, and we're gonna, we want to put our Android IP on it. Before that, it was, I think it was in like a cyberpunk, uh, steampunkish universe. And they said, sure, I mean, we're not going to do anything with it anyway, so why not? So this was a joint license between Fantasy Flight owning the IP, Netrunner owning, or uh, Wizard of the Coast owning the game system. But Fantasy Flight spun the game system. Actually, maybe even not in the game system, just the Netrunner name and the core of the game system. But um, Fantasy Flight did modify the system quite a bit. They added more factions to it. They added... And, and then they turned it into a living card game, which lasted for about six or seven years and became one of the most popular, um, probably, well, the most popular living card game up until that point. And partly, have you guys ever played Netrunner? Nope. No. Are you familiar with it in any way? Have I heard of it before? I've heard of it. No, but maybe I'm thinking of Loadrunner. Um, definitely different than Loadrunner. Yeah. <laughs> so what made Netrunner interesting was one side played a corporation and the other side played a runner. And in the cyberpunk universe, um, oh, what am I thinking? <sighs> Shadowrun. In the Shadowrun universe, um, a runner would basically, you'd break into corporate mainframes by jacking yourself into the net. So, but corporate mainframes would install security measures called ICE to, you know, combat the the runners and the entire game was based around that so you would come with a corporate deck and a runner deck and you would play them against each other so i would play my corporate deck against your runner check our scores switch and now i'm playing my runner against your corporate deck um or i might have said that twice but in any case you get the idea so and there's just a ton of cars and a ton of things you can do and people just love this game and then they announced that oops we don't have the license for it anymore and it went away so that was last year Net, Net, Android Netrunner is done, um, which actually caused a huge problem for them because they can predict LCG demand pretty reliably until they announce the end of the game. And then all of a sudden, Netrunner had a huge run on people wanting to buy everything before the game went out of stock or went out of print. And then they ran out of it. And that became a whole other issue. So yeah, that was Netrunner. Um, then there was Star Wars The Card Game, which was designed by Eric Lang. And that was another asymmetric game where one you'd make a dark side deck and a light side deck and you play them against each other. Um, that one was discontinued around the same time as Netrunner, but it was done intentionally. It wasn't the most popular of games. So they're like, we're just going to pause and let that game end, which I was, I was happy for because I like the game, but I didn't want to keep collecting it anymore. Now I have a complete game that isn't played any place anymore, but I, can, I still have all the cards that I ever want for it. 
All those are past LCGs. You guys have never played any of those, right? No. All right. I've never played any living card game. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. Confession. <laughs> <laughs> so for the record, I, I did I did warn you guys to research some of this, right? <laughs> well, research does not mean... So what is the buy-in for a living card game to go and play one of these games? What would I need to spend? So that's a great question, because that actually is a problem that it wasn't I don't think it was an intentional problem because it's a problem they're trying to solve now. The buy-in, if you get it in the beginning, is relatively cheap. You're going to buy a starter set, maybe two, maybe three, depending on the game. Um, the uh, Legend of the Five Rings game, you need actually three starter sets. The other games, you need two if you want all the cards necessary to build whatever you want. And then you buy a pack a month. Easy enough if you get it on the ground floor. A year later, how- you need a starter set and 12 packs. Two years later. And how much do these things cost? Um, between twelve and fifteen dollars. So and you can probably for get them a pack. per pack. Yeah. So ten to ten to fifteen dollars a month, depending if you get them online or stuff. It's really not that bad for a game that you continually play. Certainly cheaper than, you know, playing magic and buying half a dozen boosters every time you go to the store. Um but the problem was once the game lived for a little bit it became very prohibitive to get into the system if you wanted to get all the cards. Because yes, you could get them all. They reprinted them. Nothing went out of circulation. Sometimes things would go out of print and they may not come in back into print for a while. But the idea was you'd always be able to get them. But if you're buying two years worth of cards, instead of that $10 a month, you're now looking at, you know, $250. Plus like, what, like a $40 starter set? Starter set's about 40 bucks. Yep. Yep. And most of these have a big box, like a deluxe expansion every year, which is another $40. So it got... I'm seeing 30 on their website, but yeah. Or another $30. Because I looked at, I looked at uh, the Lord of the Rings, because I love the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and looking into getting into the Lord of the Rings living card game is an insane, insane amount of money now. Yep. Because you have, just reading off their website here, Corset... You can get either the regular or limited collector's edition if you want to spend $100 on it. You have deluxe expansions, saga expansions, standalone scenarios, nightmare decks, shadows of Markwood cycle, Darrow Dref... I can't even (laughs) say these things. Cycle against the shadows cycle, the ringmaker cycle, the um, Angmar awakened cycle, dream chaser cycle, um, and like five more. And each cycle is made up of six packs? Um, it looks like it depends. Some of them are as few as two. I'm seeing six here. Most of them seem to be six. Yeah, the I don't two know why might that be one the, is. It might be the most recent one. Oh, these are only available for pre-order even. Yeah. So the, the pre-order ones. Mordor it'll is be, only in pre-order. Yeah, it'll be six it, when the cycle is complete, but they kind of tweak them out or eat them out or tease eat. them out, I guess, as you go through. But... <laughs> And I did the same thing. I looked at, well, let's let's quickly jump into the modern ones because I want to talk about these, which actually Taryn sent us an email. You're, Terrence, you're sort of the reason why I did Fantasy Flight first, um, <laughs> to ask us to talk about the different living card games. And the current living card games, the ones that are currently in production, are The Lord of the Rings, which started in 2011. So that's been going for eight or nine years. The Then the one after that is the Game of Thrones card game, Second Edition. So, like I say, Fantasy Flight's not afraid of learning from things. 
in 2015, they said, hey, all your first edition Game of Thrones cards, they no longer are valid. We're rebooting it, and now we're doing second edition. Uh, there were a number of people that were very upset about that, but there was also, it was good for the game. Um, it was also good for Fantasy it's Flight. It's no longer a living card game. This one's dead. <laughs> this one's dead. It's a yeah. dead card game. <laughs> well, they have six dead living card games, yep, and four living, living card games. Um, and then in 2016, they have uh, launched Arkham Horror, the card game. And then in 2017, Legends of the Five Rings, the card game. Uh, the Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror are both cooperative. Legends of the Five Rings and Game of Thrones are both competitive. And Game of Thrones has a multiplayer, ver- well, a multiplayer option that comes in the box. So you can play, I want to say, up to six people with um the game of thrones card game it is a slightly different game but the game works in dual mode and i think they call it it's like gauntlet and uh, something else um legend of the five rings has recently come out with uh, a pdf for multiplayer rules as well so they're even their cooperative or their competitive games they want to be able to get more people involved the lord of the rings i looked at getting into that a few years ago and i think with my completionist requirement it would have been something like four thousand dollars to get everything i wanted easy wow which there, made i just say, want to start adding things to my cart on this website <laughs> <laughs> just see. it's kind of crazy um and i might be exaggerating but i don't think i'm exaggerating that much it's definitely was in the thousands though yeah i'll keep uh just keep adding over here go yeah. on with the episode i'm listening <laughs> all right so, and the thing with the Lord of the Rings, though, is if you get the starter set, and anyone can get the starter set, that that's like an evergreen product. You just walk in and you can you can pretty much pick it up at any game store. You can play that and it's interesting and it's fun. And you realize that the way the Lord of the Rings works is you have scenario decks, and then you're going to build character decks to go against that scenario. There's no campaign, there's no leveling, there's no nothing. It's just you have a bunch of character cards, and you're specifically building a deck to optim like that can be optimized to go after that scenario. Well, later scenarios seems cool. Like you can buy scenarios separate from anything else, but later scenarios can't be beat with the cards you get in the base set. You have to buy other cards. So, and you can do that, but then that's when you get into super expensive zone. And if you're a completionist, you really need to have everything. If you want, you can just buy the scenarios and go online, build a character deck, and it'll tell you exactly which like sets you need to build that character deck that you virtually built. It just gets really, really expensive. So this became a real problem. And one of the reasons why I think they rebooted a Game of Thrones, because once you have, you know, five years, Game of Thrones went for seven years. And once you had that much, you couldn't be competitive anymore unless you just spent a ton of money. So by rebooting it, they got everyone else, everyone who was interested in it could get in on the ground floor. So that was one advantage. And then the other side was everyone who was, had invested seven years in it had all these cards that were no longer good. So there's, eh, you know, it's a mixed bag there. What are you up to so far, Kitty? Um, I'm only, I have 26 items in my cart. I can't see a subtotal. All right. I'll let keep, you know. Keep going. This is just literally everything. There's so much in here. Because <laughs> there's these like mini, the nightmare decks. They're only like six ninety five each, but there's like, I don't even know. How many of them? You don't need the play mats. I'll tell you that. Nope. I'm just adding cards. <laughs> I did so, not get the deluxe edition either. I just got the regular old 
edition, which I'm sure you would have gone deluxe, but... I think the regular old edition is just fine, especially if you're trying to collect everything. Also, eBay is a good place to get old old cards as well. Um, is this something that um, BGG Marketplace has a ton of? Maybe. I've I've rarely ever shopped for old cards. When I was filling out my Game of Thrones card, when I decided to get into that, I was like three years behind. So I got all of the old cards through eBay for the most part, because I got them for about... I don't know, a third of what they would have been retail. And I'm just like, I want to play this game. I want to have everything, but I don't want to spend retail to do it. So I actually did look up for those. But that's one of the very few games that I've ever bought aftermarket, especially for cards. Um, Arkham Horror is their collectible, or is is their current one. That one, the distribution model there is each pack you buy has a, a scenario and it has some character cards. This is turning out to be a problem for Arkham Horror because if you want all the character cards, you have to buy all the scenarios. And sometimes people just want character cards and not the scenarios. You just want new cards that you can add to your character decks. So the newest card game, which is not yet living, but will be, I want to say <laughs> next week or the week after, is... It's unborn. Un- is unborn, but it's it's almost out there is um, (laughs) Marvel Champions. And yet again, they're iterating on the living card game model. And in Marvel Champions, you buy one starter box. You don't need multiple starter boxes to have everything you need. The packs are going to be character packs and scenario packs. So if you buy a character pack, you're buying a full-fledged character with all the cards you need. It's a playable deck right out of the pack. And the scenarios are just scenario cards. There's nothing in there that you would need to build a character. So you can really just target what you want as opposed to having to buy everything. But the decks are still mix and matchable. So if you bought you know, the Corp set, and then you bought, you know, She-Hulk and Captain America. You can mix and match your cards between them if you want to, but you don't have to. You just open them up and play. Lowering the barrier of entry, lowering the lowering the cost of entry, and making it a better evergreen product, because if you want to play this game, you can buy a couple scenarios, you buy the characters you want, and then you can just play. And even three years from now, you can still do that. Yes, you can buy more characters if you want to, but you don't have to feel obligated to buy everything to play a viable Hulk deck or something along those lines. So that was their, that's, well, this episode's going to be long. Um, that is, <laughs> <laughs> that's just the living card game aspect of Fantasy Flight. I'll go faster over the other stuff. Um, you have a total for us yet? No, I'll let you know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Fletcher, any questions on living card games before I move on? Um, I guess not. Uh, I never played any living card games. I was just, I always played, uh, I I mean, I don't know the difference between a a trading card game and a collectible card game. Those are the same, basically. They're the same. Okay. Because sometimes I see the the acronyms and uh, names thrown around, and I don't know if there's actually a difference. Now, I've only played Magic and Star Trek uh, TCGs, and I guess like Hearthstone, but that's not physical. Well, and even that has random distribution. Yeah. Yep. So... Living card games, non-random distribution, but the same feel when you're playing it as a collectible card game. So a few other things I want to touch on with Fantasy Flight that they really do differently than not a ton of companies, not every other company, but many companies. At least one thing they do better, eh, one thing they do very well is licensing. They own the Star Wars license. They own, well, 
They are leasing the Star Wars license anyway. Um, the Game of Thrones, Legend of the Five Rings, Marvel, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. Um, for their board game, they have a Fallout board game. They have a Doom board game. They have a Civilization board game. So they will get IPs and they will make good games around them. So having the Star Wars license is great. People will buy it. But having a great game with the Star Wars license, that creates something like X-Wing, where even casual players are getting into this, you know, Star Wars battle because these miniatures come pre-painted. There's no, there's some measures, measurement tools. You're not using tape measures and things like that. You can play on pretty much any table because it's just open space. Um, like X-Wing is phenomenal. And even if you never played it, even the miniatures are just worth getting because they look really cool on a shelf. Uh, so they do a really good job with that. And then Armada, Star Wars Armada, is big ships, like huge fleets. So where X-Wing is like those dogfight battles, Armadas are like huge fleet battles, but they still manage to make it work. And what fascinates me is Star Wars Legion. This is a table... No, they're all tabletop miniature games. But this is a um, (laughs) individual person where you're like put together the figures, paint them. Like this is Stormtroopers versus Luke Skywalker and Han Solo on the ground type of things, which is as close to Warhammer type measuring distance and, you know, view and terrain obstacles that you can get. And even this is doing great because I haven't played the game. I can't get into this. I I can't get to into any of these because I want to collect everything. So I just avoid them. But even that's becoming very popular as far as miniature games are concerned. So they do a really good job with their miniature stuff as well. And this question may become rhetorical at this point, but uh, either of you seen any of these games be played? I believe I watched a Watch It Played where he was playing Star Wars Legion. Yes. Yeah, for our miniatures games episode. That was my yep. research I did. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really interesting. It's a very cool looking game. I mean, they had a really cool table they were playing it on. They had all the terrain out. They had some really neat stuff, but it was still just even without that fun yeah we can imagine using legion as if you're going to play the star wars role-playing game which we'll get to Mm -hmm. using legion and the terrain pieces that you can get with it to essentially create the battlefield for your role-playing game as well and then you just use the role-playing rules versus the miniature rules fletcher have you ever done any kind of miniature You, you said you did warhammer at one point right i didn't do warhammer i had friends that were into it um so I've I've watched them play it. I guess I have played Warhammer once. It was like one of my one of my friends in like a uh, middle school. He was really big into Warhammer, and he was like, you know, play Warhammer with me. He, like you can use my pieces. I never invested in any, so he was kind of like teaching me how to um, play Warhammer like against him. And of course, I lost miserably. And I was like, I don't like games where I have to pull out a tape measure. So <laughs> I just never really got invested into it. Yep. And-, and I was like, I was like, how much does it cost to like? buy these figurines and it's like well it depends and like everything that you played with probably cost around you know 250 dollars and i was like yeah and i'm having trouble buying booster packs for this is not happening yep and that is really the major thing and that's actually where fantasy flight does well with their miniatures is you can target buy exactly what you want um x-wing and armada are pre-painted and pre-assembled Legion is not pre-painted or pre-assembled. You have to put those together. But at least you know what you're getting. And you can build a squad and just target buy, which makes it a little bit easier to get into if you wanted to get into it, at least cost-wise. Kitty has a total. 
All right. So with 117 items in my cart, the shipping estimate is unavailable and tax estimate is unavailable. (laughs) But the cart total is $1,727.15. And that is with, I think there were four um packs that were like 14.95 and a couple of the sagas that were $30. So I think it added up to like another $120 of out of stock currently items. So and that is why living card games that go for too long become cost prohibitive. Although apparently Lord of the Rings is Cuz I was interested well in this. I wanted to play this. Do you still but want I, to? I can't do this. No. <laughs> yep. I don't have $1,000 to just jump on in. You have to start at the very beginning. Yes. If you don't start when it comes out, a very good place you're to too start. Late. <laughs> it's always a good place to start at the beginning. So the thing that I do like though about living card games is I could start at the beginning and basically, you know, go through it pack by pack every month, you know, just seven years behind the rest of the world. Yeah. Honestly. Until they could. cancel it and then I have to suddenly buy everything at once. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean I and honestly I've never really thought of doing that because I must have everything all at once. But You're yeah, Chris. if you decide I'm looking at the starter box, <laughs> I'm going to play the starter box. If I want the next pack, it's automatically available. If I want the next one, I get the next one. I get the next one. You don't need everything all at once to play the first pack. It is a little bit, though, like listening to a podcast where, you know, it's fun to listen to a podcast that already has like 300 episodes because then you get to like just keep listening and keep listening. And then when you like finally catch up, you're like, wait, I have to wait a week for this? What? Well, and <laughs> but the other side of that is when you're listening, if you're playing or listening something and you're you're doing it as it comes out, you also have a community that you can talk to in real time about what's coming out too. It's true. So there's a don't have to worry about spoilers. Yep. All right, miniature game. We talked about board games. Um, I I will mention Cosmic Encounter. Uh, they got this game from Avalon Hills and are still doing it. Descent is probably one of the most successful dungeon crawl games it sort of started that genre or at least started that genre being highly imitated xcom the board game was um licensed from it, it was a video game they made it into a board game but this was their first app driven board game uh i thought they did a really good job with it it's wasn't it's not super popular but it's still in print if you wanted to get it so um but i really liked xcom so their board games that's theirs. And they've also, like I said, they started as a publishing company and doing role-playing games. And their current system is called Genesis. And Genesis is the system that the Star Wars role-playing game is... Actually, Genesis spun out of the Star Wars role-playing game. Um, the way the Star Wars role-playing game works is you have a bunch of different colored dice of different sides, but they don't have numbers on them. They have symbols. So you have successes and failures and success with complications and failures with whatever the good side's called. And there can be a lot of different variations. So the idea is you have, you get, make a dice pool, you roll it. And depending on the symbols that helps you tell what the story of what happened, even if it's not like mechanically you did four points of damage. Um, so that's how the Star Wars role-playing game works. The problem with the Star Wars role-playing game though, is there's three of them. There's Star Wars Edge of Empire, Star Wars Force and Destiny and Star Wars Age of Rebellion. They're all the Star Wars role-playing game. They're all the same system. They're not meant to be played together. So each one of them covers a different aspect of the Star Wars universe, which makes sense, but it can be confusing if you're trying to get into it. 
So if you want to play uh, Jedi, you're going to play Force and Destiny. If you want to play um, like uh, Han Solo type thing, you're going to play Edge of the Empire. If you want to play just like um, Empire versus Rebellion, you're going to do Age of Rebellion. So they just they have different flavors and themes and different power levels of the characters. So that's why they kept them as separate things. But then Genesis spun off into its own thing. And they have a IP, their fantasy IP is called Tyranoth. And that is in their RuneScape. Pretty much anything fantasy that's not licensed is in the Tyranoth universe. Um, so Realms of Tyranoth is their fantasy version of this Genesis role-playing game. And then Android, they have the IP. They don't have Netrunner anymore, but the IP still exists. So they just released a source book called Shadows of the Beanstalk, which is the Android universe in role-playing form. And they also publish a series of role-playing games, which are really kind of cool, called The End of the World. There's four of them. And the way these games work is when you create characters, you're actually creating yourself in the game. And then you put what you think you are. Then you pass the character sheets around the table, and people can modify your stats up or down based on how they perceive you. And the end result is you as a character. And then the game starts uh, like at that moment where you're at. So it could be a zombie apocalypse. It could be um, nuclear or something or other. Like there's, I think there's four different ways the world ends and you play yourself in this post world ending universe. Those are the role playing games. They also have um, <laughs> <laughs> their newest game type is the unique games, which we've talked about Keyforge ad nauseum. We won't talk about that. But the one that is maybe a little <laughs> less known is Discover Land is Unknown, which was actually came out just before Keyforge, is also dubbed a unique game. It is a board game where you're trying to basically explore new land. And it was an abysmal flop in every possible way. So where Keyforge has been like a super successful game, Discover Lands Unknown. Well, Keyforge feels like every time you open up a pack, something new you're discovering. Discover Lands Unknown feels like when you open up the box, they basically just made a big game and then pulled out a bunch of stuff. And what you get in the box is just what's left. It just feels, <laughs> doesn't feel right. So the we'll see what else they do with the unique games, trademark or copyright. I guess it's a trademark. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect to see another board game come out of it. Maybe another card game. Okay. Fantasy Flight. Questions, comments? We, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> oh, we're not done yet. I'm just I'm just pausing. Actually, I think I might. Well, we'll get into one of the biggest problems I see with Fantasy Flight. And then we can end there. But I wanted to pause to see if you guys wanted to say anything. Because <laughs> I've just been talking a lot. It's just a big uh, information dump. And I appreciate it. I took it in, but yeah, I don't have that many questions. <laughs> I have not played most of these games. Well, for those of you who have not played most of these games, my recommendation for games to play. Um, Fletcher, I think you might like Cosmic Encounter. This was not made by Fantasy Flight, but it's still published by Fantasy Flight. Um, this is a negotiation unique power so slightly asymmetrical game where you're playing an alien civilization and you're basically trying to be the first person to colonize five other planets it's amazing um kitty hates it i do um, you do i don't hate it i just don't like it <laughs> fair enough um it, it does require some negotiation it's a very it can be backstabby it can be it's a manipulation game it's it's definitely like that type of game um i wouldn't bother with descent I think there's a ton of 
dungeon crawlers out there. So if you didn't get into the scent at the beginning, um, there's no real, there's nothing it's adding to the genre that something else isn't already doing and adding more tweaks to it. Um, XCOM is interesting. It's almost completely a four player game though. You can play it with less, but it just plays best at four. Um, is it like the, uh, video game? game? Yes. Video game. Uh, Okay. I have played the video games. Yeah. It's, it isn't that tactical movement type of thing, but it is kind of the bigger picture XCOM, but it feels okay. XCOM-y. Like, yeah, XCOM has a kind of like both. It's like the away missions where it's like tactical movement plus like the other like research upgrading. Yep. You have research, you have game. base defense, you have um, basically world defense, and then you have the commander who kind of coordinates all of it. Um, it's a great game, though. I yeah. really, really like it. If you're gonna, if someone were interested in a miniatures game, I think X-wing is. If you're just even marginally interested in Star Wars, X-wing is a great game to get your feet wet in miniatures. One starter set, you'll get enough to play with two players. You have everything you need is in the box, um, and I think the starter set's only like forty dollars, and it comes with I think three ships um, plus everything else. So that's where I would start there. Living card game. If you want something cooperative, I would go with Marvel Champions, because it's not out yet, so you can get it on the ground floor, buy one box, and you can, you're just good to go. If you don't mind going back, or you really like the theme, um, obviously I really like Arkham Horror, the card game, but I would be playing Marvel Champions as well. For competitive, I would stay away from Game of Thrones. I would stay away from Legend of the Five Rings. They're super, super in-depth, um, not in depth, but they're just like Legend of the Five Rings is just a very heady game. And Lord of the Rings or uh, Game of Thrones is is a good game, but just get the starter packs and play those. You do not need to buy anything else. You can just there's a house pack for each one of these. You can say, I want to play Stark versus Lannister. You buy those two decks. You just play them against each other. You're good. Don't get anything else unless you really, really want to get into the competitive scene. But then you just net deck the the current meta and that's all you need to get. Um for role playing games, not if you're into role playing games and you you like Star Wars, you probably already know about the Star Wars role playing game. If you into Star <laughs> Star Wars and role playing games and you aren't didn't know about it, well, go check it out. It's actually pretty good. And those would be yeah. And of course, for unique games, um, for competitive card games, I would go KeyForge because there's nothing to you just spend ten dollars and you can start playing. You may not be able to be competitive at like tournament levels, but you can play the game. They you technically, could get I guess really you could lucky. be. Yeah, you could. That's be. the look at Doug. Yep, is Doug well, still playing that same deck? He he has playing it from time to time. Yes, but else Doug is like really really good as well. But yes, yes, he he opened some really good decks at the beginning. But for some reason, Doug is one that he can open up anything, and I I swear he can beat me with anything he opens, and it it kills me. I'm like you're not supposed to be that good. You play with your cards upside down. It makes no sense. <laughs> And not all That's of them are upside down. Just some of them. You get really unlucky and get like the first deck that I got at Keyforge, which was <laughs> not a very good deck. But was it had like the minimum amount of uh, creatures creatures in it that you could have? Yeah, but those so are good too because then like, you play in reversal formats and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Keyforge. But Keyforge is a competitive game. So if you don't like that concept of playing one on one competitive games, then just stay away from these card games because you're not gonna you're not gonna enjoy them regardless but if you do like it if you used to play magic and you liked it keyforge is a good one um let's see there's one other thing i want to touch on that i think fantasy flight does a really good job on and that is their website i was just gonna criticize their website 
<laughs> it does not have an empty cart function. I am sitting here removing these things one by one from my cart. Why would anybody have an empty cart function? It should. They don't want you to empty the cart, though. All right. Based- <sighs> it's an anti-pattern. We will, we will give you it doesn't have an empty cart function. What it <laughs> does have, though, is a built-in blog to all of their games. And if you go to the Fantasy Flight homepage, I go to very few pages directly. You know, I might research something, get linked on something. But the Fantasy Flight Games homepage is a site that I go to at least a half a dozen times a week. Because it's when you land on it, it's cool looking. There's images from all their different games. When you look at the recent news, it tells you exactly which game they're talking about. There's So right now, as we record, there's a Marvel Champions um the news post is the most recent one, you know, previewing the villains of Marvel. Um, if you click into this, you're going to see, it's going to show you cards. It's going to talk about the different cards, what you can do with them, the different combos, like lots of cool art. It's like, it just gives you so much information that gives, makes you excited about it. And in a blog post form. So it's not more than like 500 words. Um, the next one is Keyforge, you know, set stunners to, you know, previewing the Star Alliance and the next world collide thing. Then there's a Star Wars Legion, then another Keyforge one, which is an interview with the person with the most, the deck with the most chains on it. Then there's Arkham Horror Final Hour, Legend of the Five Wings, Star Wars Imperial Assault, Star Wars Legion. They just vary it up and everything looks cool. Even if I'm not interested in it, like it looks cool on that page and it's alive. Every single day there's something new and usually two or three things. And that makes such a big difference to like keep these games feeling fresh and keeping the excitement up for them. Just seeing like a new post about your game every week is is cool. And I think that's a great strategy. Um, the navigation is pretty darn easy too. You have news, you have products. Um, there's if you go to the uh their upcoming tab, it'll tell you what they're working on and where it is, whether it's in production, is it on the boat, is it in um reorder? You know, it, it just gives you a ton of information um that I I just don't see other sites doing this. Stonemeyer does, uh, but we'll talk about them in a future episode. They also have forums, and you can go and talk about all the stuff on their forums, and the forums are fairly active. Um, BGG is still probably more active, but having the forums on their site is is nice. And then, of course, they have the store. And everything you buy through Fantasy Flight is going to be retail prices, which you can always get cheaper someplace else. Not that much cheaper, because there are some policies in there that you can't advertise too much lower than um, what they're doing. But Fantasy Flight wants to make you able to buy their products on their site, but they don't want to cannibalize from stores. So that's why they're always going to be retail price, um, unless there's some kind of a sale or something like that. And that happens occasionally. But um, So that's Fantasy Flight in a nutshell. And I know it was a lot of me talking, but I'm, I really like this company and I like, oh, we haven't even talked about organized play. They also have organized play for a ton of their stuff and they give away a lot of cool stuff. There we go. That's organized play. They also have streams. They have FFG Live, and they're streaming basically every single day, some game or another. So if you subscribe to their YouTube channel or their Twitch channel, you'll you'll get notifications of different games that they're streaming and talking about all the time. Um, they also do a video podcast or YouTube's. That I guess they're not. I don't think they actually do a podcast, but they have YouTube um, chats on different games on a pretty regular basis as well. So yeah, Fantasy Flight. I like them. I've stunned you Couldn't guys tell. into silence. 
I still have 28 <laughs> items to remove from my cart so I don't accidentally purchase something. All right. Well, to reward our listeners, I mentioned last week, I think, that I have an extra copy of, um, why is the name escaping me? The new Civ game. Tapestry from from Stonemaier Games. So next week, we are going to talk about Simon Games. And I'm going to give Kitty and Fletcher some reading material so I don't have to say everything. Um, and the following week, we're going to talk about Stonemaier Games. When we talk about Stonemaier Games, at the end of that episode, somebody is going to win a copy of Tapestry. Now, I really am going to do this to um, thank our patrons, because I don't think we thank our patrons enough. And so we're going to do this the same way that we used to do prize drawings. So depending on your patron level, you will get a certain number of entries into the um, drawing in that episode that is equal to whatever dollar amount it is. So if you're at the $2 level, you'll have two entries. But um, just so I'm not leaving out people who are not giving us money, if you send us an email with tapestry entry as the subject. That's all all you have to do. Tapestry entry, email, and put your actual real name in the email itself. Um, then you will also be entered in to win the tapestry. So like I said, not next week, but the following week, we'll be talking about Stonemeyer and someone will win tapestry. And that'll be cool because then I don't have two copies. I only have one. <sighs> okay. Is that enough? You tell I think me. we did it. Looks good to me. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening. And you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is at Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. If you want to help us out on t- p- uh, Patreon, go to TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at TabletopGameTalk.com. Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SEC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miller, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean B. Kelly, C. Marie Rudy Lou, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wong, Seven Phillips, Kayla O'Brien, Jennifer Ingerbright, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks. Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate Faz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Selander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Verdig, Chris Lowe. Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wachowiak, Emil Jewell Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verhulst, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keith, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, and Paul Raymer. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. Okay, there's a bonus way to enter the contest. I'm going to post all of the Patreon names in the show notes. If you scroll down and record yourself reading the names and send me that audio file into MP3 form, you will have 10 entries into the Tapestry Contest. So that only goes for, well, that'll go for these two weeks. So read us these names and 10 entries. And you had to to read it in the same way. It has to be the same. (laughs) <laughs> the same text because the text seems to get smaller as you go on it reminds me of <laughs> it reminds me of the contract they have to sign in Willy Wonka yeah it's also it's also an eye test yeah <laughs>